I don't believe in this achieving, achieving a work-life balance. You never achieve it. It's always going to be a balancing act. One day you're going to be the better mom. One day you're going to be the better lawyer. You know, that's, it just has to be that way because some things just take precedent over others. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. Uh, I am your host, Megan Henry. And today I am joined by, well, my co-host, Wendy, Wendy Smith, and as, as well as Nicole Pielli, who is just a fantastic attorney and, you know, has an amazing story. She's now a general counsel of First Tech, but she did not get to that role without a lot of hard work and grit and determination and doing it all as a single parent. So I have so much respect for her and everything that she's done um, to get where she is now. And she just has an amazing story. So I, I know you'll appreciate listening to it. So with that, I'll bring her in. Hey, Nicole, thank you so much for joining yep. us this morning on the Defense of Arrest. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. It's great to see faces even online. How are you? I'm great. Um, I'm so excited, excited to have you on here. You and I had talked a few weeks ago um, about doing this podcast and, you know, and it's kind of coming on the ducktails as I just did a podcast about challenges of gender and diversity, like gender bias in the workplace and diversity. And I feel like we're going to talk about all things like women related kind of today. And it kind of ducktails right into that podcast. So the timing of this is really, really perfect, at least in my eyes. But before we dive into, you know, the meat of it, I want to talk about you because you and I had just a wonderful conversation. I think it was even hard for us to get off the phone. <laughs> and I think you just have such an, an interesting and awesome background. So I, we can't get into the meat of it without talking about you. Um, so you're currently the general counsel of First Tech, which is kind of, if, if I understand correctly, it's kind of like an IT company, right? Yes, it's, we call it a, a FinTech, so financial technology. Okay. But heavier on the technology than anything else. <laughs> so, but your background getting there is kind of interesting, I, I think. So, you know, just by way of background, like you went to law school and if I remember correctly, you were like a, a single mom during law school, right? I got pregnant in my last year and my okay. entire last year was my entire pregnancy. I, I took the bar three weeks after having my daughter. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, first of all, good for you, but yeah. that must have been so challenging. I, mean, <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> how do you stay, how did you stay awake when you took the bar? I had trouble myself. I, I was a heavy coffee drinker to begin with, and I had to scale down to four cups a day. <laughs> was a lot of caffeine. <laughs> so, I mean, but even I remember that, that time when like, when my kids were like three, three weeks old, I mean, I wasn't even sleeping. Like it, I don't know how you could retain the information and be ready in that like test taker mindset to be able to sit for, you know, a two day exam. It was, it was physically, mentally, and emotionally painful, uh, honestly. <laughs> and, but my thing was, I better do it, yeah, because or else if if I don't do it, in my mind, yeah, you know, we're in this pregnancy brain, and it kind of makes your emotions a little more, you know, heightened than they would normally be. But in my mind, it was if I fail, um, this baby is is not going to bode well. This is not going to go okay. Uh, yeah. So it was do it or else. Yeah. And when yeah. and when you put yourself under that kind of pressure, yeah, you'd be surprised pull off. <laughs> Um, you know, and, and I mean, obviously I think we, everyone goes into the bar exam, like you have to pass, but you, yeah. I mean, you had such an added pressure on you. Like, you know, like not only do I, like, I need to pass cause I now I have this family I need to provide for this. This baby is depending on, on me. So I, you know, can practice and bring in an income. I, I call my daughter the bar, the bar baby. She, she came at a very inconvenient time. Uh, but she's also, you know, my number one motivator. Mm -hmm. Yes, everyone wants to do well. Of course, I want to be a great practitioner. Of course, I want to be a great attorney, uh, and I want to you know, do better and better with each coming year that I learn. You know, I am a rather younger general counsel, and so of course I want to excel. Uh, but really, my number one motivator is I have a daughter. You know, I think I think it would be different for me if it was a son. But the fact that it's that I have a daughter who's watching. 
-hmm. and who's taking cues about the expectations of women and what women can do or should do uh, and what kind of professions women can lead, you know, when they have children. That's really important to me. Uh, what she sees yeah. is really important to me. Uh, so yeah. again, do it or else. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I like totally agree with that. Um, I have two daughters and it's really important for, for me, for them to see, you know, me doing like my, my job and my career. Um, and I don't care what career they have, but I think it's just important for them to see. And like, you know, when, Wendy, you and I had talked about this too, like you you grew up with your mom as a single mom and I'm sure you looked at her and, you know, and all the work that she was doing and were like, and, you know, appreciated that. And my mom worked two jobs to put both my brother and I through college. So it's like, you go from your nine to five job and then you, scarf down some food and you go on to your next job but she always stressed that education was extremely important which you know that that's a motivation you know for me like when i went to college you know i'm like she's help, trying to do her best to help so i'm not going to be the kid that's goofing off and sleeping in and not, not going to class and things like that and then you know when it comes to law school it's like i'm footing the bill completely on this and you know make this count but nicole I, I have a question for you because you knew that you were going to have sure. a child did that kind of dictate what type of job you were looking for out of law school or were you still that mindset like a lot of us are like we pass the bar whatever we you know jobs sometimes are slim or scarce we're going to take the job that's available to us it was a little bit of both but not in the way you're probably thinking so yes chasing the higher income becomes way more important than it was before like at first you're motivated by student loans i was motivated by student loans and child <laughs> uh, that said however i also understood fairly early on that my hours would be insane if i decided to go straight into big law or straight into something larger i would not i'd have a baby that i'd never see and in fact later on in my career i had a toddler i never saw and i realized that then the hard way uh, so part of it was get whatever I can get. Um, and I knew it was going to take me to come into stride. I was still waiting on my bar license. I was still, you know, trying to figure out the routine with this baby. You know, when when should I put her in, in daycare? It was important to me to nurse. That was a big deal. And the opportunities weren't there to be able to do that during the day, even if they are, you know, legally supposed to be. Uh, so there were a lot of factors. Um, I ended up working for Planned Parenthood, not in a legal capacity. I was actually a uh, project coordinator, but really had the functions more of a contracts manager because I had a legal background. Uh, and that gave me a little bit of flexibility in my hours. My hours were set and I never, there weren't nights the way I do now or you know the longer hours that you'd expect in the legal profession. Uh, but that also came at a cost of, my salary wasn't very high yeah. at all. <laughs> so <laughs> first two, two to three years of my daughter's life, you know, we were, we were broke. You know, I, I made bills, but that's about it. Um, there was no savings. There was no, no retirement fund. There was none of it. Uh, it, we got by, but I got to spend time with her. I got to do the mommy things. I got to have a routine with her. We had traditions. We did Halloween. We did things I, I don't believe I would have been able to do uh, if I had gone straight for the big money job. Yeah. And I think that's the the myth. Like people think like, oh, wow, you went to law school. You know, I go to schools and I talk to kids and it's like, I say, how many people in this room, you know, these it could be high school kids. Sometimes it could be college kids. It's like, how many people in this room think that lawyers make a lot of money and everybody shoots their hand up. Everybody puts their hand up. And I'm like, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. I, said, I was fortunate to get a job offer. Um, was actually taking my last exam of law school. It was a take-home exam. I had a break. So I was extremely excited that I had a job. A little bit of more pressure because you have to make sure you have to pass the bar. And um, but when I got out, you know, your student loans, they don't stay on hold. I needed, I, you know, lived at home for a little while, but the commute was killing me because, you know, I'm working, you know, if I'm on trial, I would take the last train home and then come right back first thing in the morning. So then you had to factor in rent. And for the first couple of years, I worked two jobs. I worked. I was a face painter. I worked for a friend who had a uh, worked for a party company. And on the weekends, I painted faces, corporate parties, and birthday parties, and picnics. And people are like, "You did what?" And I'm like, 
yeah, needed some extra cash. Wow, I never knew that about you. Yeah. See? Yes, I, I have a secret talent. I can paste paint. I can paint faces. Yeah, I took on a second job too as a, as a grant writer like a grant writing consulting company and I could do that from anywhere it was that was remote work I didn't have to be in an office so that was great because at Planned Parenthood I did have to be in an office yeah so I went to my office job I'd pick up my you know my my baby at the time you know eight eight or nine months old feed her bathe her you know play with her put her to bed and then at night is when I would do my grant writing uh but that was a way to make extra cash and then the other odd thing I've done was um to join the lab and become a panelist. They pay you to, to basically be a lab rat. You test <laughs> products and that was a way to, to cover the odds and ends. You know, I lived to tell the tale. I couldn't have been that bad. Uh, but wow. yeah, you, you do things that, that you have to do to get by. I'm just curious about that. Like, so it's an offshoot, but when you were testing products, like a- anything like that you tested that was like, was terrible or like, you're like, this is the best new thing. And you, you got to be like a little guinea pig with the products. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, the unfortunate thing is there are some of the things you come to like, but you have no idea what they are. They don't tell you what it is you're testing. Oh, right. So let's say it's mm-hmm. a face cream. They'll tell you it's a face cream, you know, cause they need your face as a test site, but you don't know what brand it is. You don't know. There's no markings on the packaging. You have no idea what it is. And so if it ever makes it to market, you don't, you wouldn't even know where to find it if you wanted to buy it. That's it. Yeah. I mean, and also like they're losing a like a yeah, really good portion of like clientele. Like you love this product. You gave us great reviews. Can you let me know what it is now? Like I understand not telling you when you're testing it, but afterwards, like, by the way, you oh, use I Neutrogena. Tried. Like <laughs> I tried every which way I used to make friends with the nurses. Like, please, I won't tell anyone. Let me know. And no, they, I, I think ethically they just can't do it. So, which is fine. Yeah, I'll find it eventually. It'll be like, you know, it's kind of like sending out a message in a bottle, you know, hopefully the bottle comes back. So it's kind of like that. Hopefully the product will return. Uh, But going back to your point, Wendy, I I completely understand the misconception about attorneys being flush with cash. The other misconception is, is that attorneys, you know, can do things that they want to do it, you know, humanitarian wise, like they can be the attorneys for the good cause. And they choose. I really wish we had that, you know, to younger attorneys in the profession. It's not that we don't want to do the great, wonderful things about, you know, changing the world for the better that we dreamed of when we went into law school. It's that some of us are financially constrained from doing that. Mm -hmm. And the ones that get to do the public service work, a lot of the time are people that can afford to do the public service work. So being a first generation college grad and then a first generation law student, my family still, still has a lot of misconceptions about my profession and how, how well I'm doing and how long it took me to get to where I'm at and why that might be and yada, yada, yada. Um, and, and wouldn't I love to do, you know, more of that fighting the good fight, you know, particularly in civil rights, because um, I, I come from a, a Puerto Rican family. It's a big deal to have an attorney in the family. And so some of them are like, ah, oh, you sold out to the corporate world. Yes and no. You know, I, I do the thing things I do the things I believe in in my spare but there needs to be a talk about attorneys and and financial wealth it they don't always go hand in hand particularly those of us that didn't come from it to begin with yeah yeah and that's such a good point too I mean because I I I think I was guilty of thinking that you know attorneys make a ton of money when I was going into law school and you know, and there's some that do. And, but I remember when I was coming out, I was like, I had no, like I, I summered at a place that they're like, sorry, we can't take any summer associates. So that I was at square one. And then the, you know, the salaries of the places I was looking at was not those big law salaries. I was like, wait a minute. Like, this is the, I didn't know about this part. Um, so, you know, the, the, I think there needs to be a little bit more education uh, on that. But also to your point about like giving back and, you know, fighting the good fight. I mean, I think there's other ways to do it too. Like even if you work in corporate America or you work for a large firm or a medium sized firm, like our firm, like we still do a lot of civil, you know, projects and, you know, community service projects to help, to help out. Like I, so I think you could still do the good fight, the good fight, even if it's not necessarily like your work, you're an attorney for a nonprofit or something like that. You could still help. That's what we just started doing. Uh, ten, it's actually ten years. It's been ten years ago. I can't believe this. 
we, the Philadelphia Bar Foundation, a little plug to them, and the Young Lawyers Division came up with a program to try to get young lawyers, particularly young lawyers, you know, you get your first job, be it your corporate law, you're at an insurance defense law where you have the billable hours or plaintiffs, whatever. People tend to just get very closed in within their four walls of their office or now their homes. And they're still the, you know, the Bar Foundation has all these, you know, non-profit uh, legal services. And then we actually extended it out further, but it gives people an oppor like young lawyers an opportunity to go out there and just do some work with nonprofit boards and get that feel for it to get to get them out of those four walls and get into the community. So we're trying to build programs like that to help people, you know, so when you are working all these jobs, you can there is that part that you can do some humanitarian work. Yeah. Um so we got a little sidetracked. I want to I want to hop back in because because when you mentioned that you were taking the bar and you have a, a three week old daughter and you asked it was very important for you to nurse her like did you know were there any accommodations made for you so you could pump or you could do anything during the bar exam because also that I mean this was a, two years ago I feel like like they're not even there now and I can't imagine how they were you know 10 10 years ago or so or whenever you were taking the bar like what did they have any accommodations for you? So I actually took two state bars at once because at, at the time, this is predate, the UBE wasn't a thing back then, right? So if you wanted to take bar, the, the best you could do to, to be licensed duly, you know, at the same time would be to take two bars that are compatible with each other. Uh, so I took Pennsylvania and New Jersey. I went to law school in Pennsylvania. So I figured, okay, I have no idea where I'm going next. Let me see what I can do here. I did Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Pennsylvania did provide accommodation with a physician. So I um, note about why I wanted to nurse and how this would help the health of my, my new child. And they then put me in a room separate with all of the other people who got accommodations for various reasons. We weren't all nursing mothers. In fact, I was the only nursing mother in the room. I think the rest of the people in the room with me were, were men. Um, but we all, we were the accommodation group. <laughs> and each of us had a specific accommodation to us, by the way. Some people had extra time, some people had learning disabilities, some people did whatever. My accommodation was uh, I had up to 45 minutes. I did not have to use it consecutively. I could break up my 45 minutes and I could stop the clock at any time in the exam. I would bring my, my pump and my, my bottles and they had to be inspected both before and after. I would be escorted to a a kind of like a disabled person's restroom, like the wheelchair accessible kind, but it had an outlet so I can plug in my pump. Somebody would be waiting outside for me. I would sit in there and you know do do my but pump my milk, do my business, put everything back in the in packet with the ice pack, walk out, have them look at it, be escorted back into the room, have the proctor look at it again, and then they would take my things from me. I could stop the clock for however long I was out, come back in, and then the time that I was out that I used for pumping would be added to the end of the section I was working on. Uh, and that's that was the accommodation for Pennsylvania, which I was very grateful for. For New Jersey, where I took the second bar, there were no accommodations at all. There, there was no doctor's note or not. They, they wouldn't do anything about it. They said, you know, you can certainly take bathroom breaks on your time if that's what you need. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't going to lose time. I just, it, it was agonizing because if, if you don't express milk, like your, your chest hurts, like it was physically a pain. And just to relieve the pressure when we were all dismissed and just like literally just started to like squeeze my chest into a toilet so that I, I could just relieve some of that pressure that was, yeah. you know, there. Um, got through it. it, it you just... It was hard. It's. I, I really wish that, that they had accommodations in New Jersey. I hope that they've changed it since. I honestly haven't looked into it. But I, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only woman that's ever either been pregnant or recently given birth and then taken a bar exam. I've, I've read about several of them. Well, and it just goes like it's right off the bat. You're already being put at a disadvantage. You know, even even the accommodations pencil you got in Pennsylvania, like 45 minutes is not a ton of time for all those steps that you had to take. 
you know, like that you had to do a lot <laughs> in that time. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah. it, it, and in like New Jersey, it put, it puts you at, or any woman at, who, you know, is, is lactating and breastfeeding and it, you don't even have to be a new mom. Some people breastfeed till the kids are two years old, you know, it, like it already puts you at a disadvantage to like, you're, you're taking a test that's, you know, your, your job depends on you passing and you're distracted because you're in pain, you know, that it, you're already behind the rest of the group. I mean, people ask me, oh, how was the bar exam? And honestly, I tell them it was a blur. I don't remember the essays I wrote. I don't remember what I typed. I don't, I don't remember the questions. You know, I was I was there, but I was kind of on autopilot, to be yeah. honest. I, I can't remember much of the bar exam I took other than to tell you it was hard because that's what everyone thinks of the bar. It wasn't easy. Um, yeah. I mean, I will I, say. Yeah, it's, I, it's a distant memory. Yeah, I, I don't remember any of the essays I wrote either. I remember finishing the bar and be like, I think I did good enough. <laughs> So, um, so, so you're, you're at Planned Parenthood, which was a, a good fit for you at the time, although not a great, um, compensation fit. Um, and then you eventually, you moved, you moved sure. on. So, um, you know, what was the next step that you took and, and did you get into more of a legal role after you left Planned Parenthood? Yes. So I, I gradually got into more and more of a legal role until I felt comfortable enough. I made really good friends with the CFO at Planned Parenthood, and it was called Planned Parenthood Mohawk Hudson. It was in upstate New York. I was living in Albany, working in Schenectady, New York at the time. So that was another barrier. I moved to a state where I didn't take a bar and I wasn't licensed yet. Uh, I made CFO. I, I, the CFO was, was great friends with me. She left Planned Parenthood and moved on to a, a health network called Alliance for Better Health and raised my salary about 50% if I went with her. She had she had the purview to do that. Obviously, that was a deal I couldn't refuse. <laughs> I took off running and I became the privacy officer, the HIPAA privacy officer for this health network that had about 2,000 um, providers within it. And then I was tasked with uh, maintaining their policies, developing their policies, training them under a project in New York at the time called DISRIP, which was a that they were trying. It was a pilot program. And people were just trying to understand life under DISRIP. And that came with a lot of new rules and regs and a lot of you know new, new protocols to follow. So my responsibility was to guide this one a PPS, so it's like a service network, under the state project uh, and also drive some of their underlying measurables and deliverables on data all the time. It was a five-year project. And if they did well, they'd add another five years. And this is, you know, billions of dollars to go around. Uh, so everyone in, in the upstate region wanted in. It was challenging. It was great. And it, and it, it tested my, my ability as someone who can analyze, you know, rules and regs and give that sort of advice and give that sort of guidance uh, in a way that's understandable to others. Take something complex and make it simple. That was my job. And I grew to really like that. I then ended up taking the New York bar since I figured I'm gonna be here a while. <laughs> my daughter was then two years old. And believe it or not, I think the second bar was more challenging than the first. It, you know, it was full-time job, full-time two-year-old and study for the bar on your own time, a couple years out of school at this point. So nothing's fresh. Yeah. Uh, that was actually harder, but you know, passed, took it and said, okay, I'm going to be a licensed attorney and I'm going to do this now. Uh, and then I ended up, uh, once that was, the project was coming to an end, I was sort of growing out of it. I ended up going to Deloitte. Oh yeah. So yeah, I want, definitely want to talk about Deloitte because I mean, that's a, a, a giant, uh, you know, accounting firm and are, are definitely known not to have the most work life, not just Deloitte, just as a whole, the, the big four accounting firms are known kind of like the big law firms, not to be the most accommodating to um, families. And so you're going into yeah. that experience being a single mom with a, a, a young, young child. So, you know, how was that experience there for you? Cause it is cutthroat. I mean, it, it, I think that is the best way to describe it, at least from my view is that when you're there, it is cutthroat. I have to note that I was very naive. 
<laughs> that's and that's just objectively very naive about what I was going into. And this is the part where I start to chase the money, right? This is the part where I'm like, you know what? I need to do better. I need to do bigger. My kid needs, I, I, I need I need to start saving up for her. If something happens, I need a life insurance policy. I need X, Y, and Z. And this is where I start to think, okay, I got very confident in, you know, the smaller upstate New York region where I was working. I had obviously proven to myself that I could pull this off. Uh, my best friend is a CPA and a manager at Deloitte. We grew up together as kids, and she's someone that I that I talk to often. Uh, great professional, but she doesn't have children. So, you know, we're both both working with factors about one another. Manager at Deloitte, she doesn't know what it's like to be a mother, but we're piecing it together and we're going to make it work. <laughs> so, it was on her recommendation and and her word essentially that I ended up scoring the interview with very little tax law experience, uh, I they didn't seem to mind. They were looking for lawyers because they were working with uh, FACA and CRS, which are relatively newer uh, sets of laws and regs um, with newer reporting standards. And they needed more legal professionals to help navigate through FACA and CRS alongside their CPAs. We also have power of attorney and we can squabble with the IRS while the CPAs do reporting work. So lawyers were needed and they were willing to train. Um, Deloitte is a wonderful place to work, particularly when you're younger and, you, and you're and you agile and you have the energy. The level that I came in at, parent, the, my level, uh, and that made it difficult for people to really understand that facet. Most of the other people who were parents were higher up. They were managers or PPMDs or uh, you know, senior managers, they were higher up and a lot of them had nannies and au pairs and all that, which is wonderful. If you can afford that sort of lifestyle that works out for them, uh, that was not my lifestyle. I didn't travel internationally, but I traveled you know, to other states. I had to go to Houston back and forth quite a bit. Uh, Deloitte will help you in the sense that they will concierge your entire life. And this is something I didn't realize until I got there. And this is true about big law as well, from what I've come to understand. I had a nanny. Like they they subsidized a nanny for times that I had to night somewhere or work late during busy season or travel. And all I paid for this nanny was $6 an hour and they subsidized the rest. Like it was a crazy awesome benefit to have. That is a and pretty I used awesome benefit. Often. <laughs> right. So the, yeah, you know, they tried. I, the health insurance benefits were top notch. They subsidized nannies. They would send you dry cleaning out. They'd send you home in an Uber if you were working late. If you worked, you know, a certain amount of hours in the day, your meals were comped. They tried to to help. Um, so it's I I really attribute this more to my own naivety throughout culture. It's cutthroat in the sense of the people on your team who don't have children and who expect you to be available twenty four seven. They don't get it and they will not be flexible with you. The company itself tries, right? And, and they take the initiatives to, to give you benefits that will help you along and be a good employee. Um, this is before COVID. I really wish I would have stuck it out at times because COVID seemed to teach my team I, that I, I'm still in touch with just about everyone. <clears throat> but COVID really taught the department about flexibility. Mm -hmm. Ta-da, you know, one year of everyone having to work from home. <laughs> yeah, and, and suddenly there's all this flexibility that I, I was desperately in need of. I had a three-year-old, you know, and, and and law licenses to upkeep, you know, and CLEs to do, and I, I needed to be home more than I needed to be in the office at that time. I had a nanny, but the idea of having a nanny raise my daughter for me is, is just not an idea that was that I was comfortable with. After putting in all this work to, to have this child and give her everything, that I needed to give her me too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it was, there was flexibility there that was lacking. And it's a little frustrating now because now suddenly everybody works from home whenever they want. Yeah. Everyone, you know, understands. People put on away messages like, uh, I'm not available at 4 p.m. I'm taking my kids to soccer practice. I would have never seen that when I was working there from anyone. Yeah. Even the PPMDs like would not be that open to explain that they were taking some of their own time and we'll get back to you once they're done with their kids. Yeah. It's it was just a, a new concept. 
Yeah, I definitely think COVID helped in in that that way. I mean, I think it helped everybody to be a little bit more flexible and open about their their time and their things. Like just like like today, like when we got on on the podcast, Wendy was saying like she was running late because she had to be at her condo because and you know she had to deal with the doors and this and that. Like I think pre COVID, like I mean, I wouldn't have personally cared if if Wendy had to deal with her condo and her doors and stuff. And, but I think it's like it's more acceptable to come on to a, a meeting with a, a client or a, a, a contemporary at your office or whatever and be like sorry like i was at home depot i had to like go and run and do this like this morning i had to run to the dmv you know and it's just like okay i'm just not gonna be able to log in until 10 o'clock and that's okay uh i think that's become a little bit no- more normalized now than it was you know a year and a half ago um but absolutely and it, you know I'm, I'm grateful yeah what I wanted to touch on, because when you mentioned your your colleagues, like you had colleagues that without, you know, didn't have children and were able to like, the, or expected you to be available. Like, I think, Wendy, you're kind of on the flip side. Like, I think sometimes people demand your time because they don't re- respect that you have your own personal time, even though you don't, you don't have children. They like think, oh, like, well, Wendy should be available when in reality, your time is your time and you can use it however you want. But I think, you know, your time might, people might take advantage of your time. Have you experienced that? I think it's something where you, and I don't know if it's necessarily because, because a lot of people don't know whether you, you know, you are, you're married, you have kids or not, but I think it also comes with the territory of what we do. And in this particular job, when I'm, you know, I'm running an apartment. So it's like today, you know, I'm dealing with this door issue, but I have a client call. I take it like I'm always accessible, but what that hap- what the flip side of that is like, you say you go on vacation. You put your out of office on and then someone calls yourself because, you know, you always give out your know, cell phone to clients to make myself available. They'll call you and then you're like, oh, oh, well, I didn't realize you were on vacation. But then they keep talking. <laughs> it's not like they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you're on vacation. I'll catch you when you're at. They keep talking. And you know what? I, I've just been doing this for so long. I'm, I'm used to it, you know, and I'm used to, you know, Megan, I'm texting you in between my flights to the airport to deal with some issues. You know, that's just comes with the territory um but it doesn't it makes it hard you know it's always kind of like that that balance like hey you know i I need time to actually go and take care of something versus you know i I need a people will expect a response right away yeah and i I think a lot of it is like setting up your own boundaries for it too um and you know if you if you like you're like I'm just not gonna take a call right at this very moment because I I am doing X Y and Z, um, but it's hard too because when like especially in the client services industry like you want to serve your clients you, you you want to take their call because you want them to continue to be your client, <laughs> so, so there is a a tug and pull with that I think, um, but I don't know I I just I feel like I've at least feel like I've witnessed some people get their time taken advantage of when um they have extra time and i I personally don't think that's fair i think like you know even though i have kids and nicole you have kids and we have those time constraints i think you know my time outside the office is just as valuable when i spend it with my kids as anyone else's when they spend it you know with their significant other or just on their own if they're friends like whatever it may be like i think everyone's time is valuable um so you know nicole you i noticed at- that with my best with my best friend yeah yeah because and i'm sure it's like you have like kind of complete opposite home lives in a way but then you have a similar yeah. professional life exactly exactly um i mean i remember early on in my career like i trapped not in my prior career before i was a lawyer like i I traveled for, I worked for a consulting firm and I traveled like quite a bit and I would be gone for, you know, the whole week in Arizona and I would go every other week. And to me at that age, that was great because I had, you know, I had nothing else going on and it was, you know, it was an expense account and it was fun, <laughs> but now I couldn't do that. You know, that just wouldn't, wouldn't work well for me. Um, but well, I had to tell that to a company once I had yeah. to say this before, and this is before I went to law school, I took three years off. I had to say that, um, you know, what was my next position going to be? Like, what would be the next step? And they said, oh, well, you, you know, 
it's great because you're young and you're single. And what they did, they were these consultants that would go. Um, I work for a hotel consultation company. So you wanted to go to like, you know, Hilton's and you go to Hilton's like all over there, even had international ones. And, you know, you're looking at quality control, but they're only home like two weekends out of the month. And that would mean that I would never see my friends and my family. You know, I'd only have the two weekends to just kind of take care of what I needed to at home and then pack my suitcase and go back. And I said, even I knew that at a young age, I, like, even though I'm single, I don't have kids. That's not the life I want. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it works for some people and not, not for all. And some of it is like speaking up to yourself and to, to others about what, what's working for you. And if it's not working for you and that company is not going to be able to make a change, then you need to find a new company. Um, or you so, go to law school. So Nicole, so you're at, you know, you're at Deloitte for, oh, for a year and a half and what, and you made, like you switched over to work for a law firm right at like in March of 2020. So that was interesting timing <laughs> in retrospect. Yes. Probably at the time you didn't I was gonna say, figure. <laughs> yeah, you, you see, I have a theme here, right? My timing is always impeccable. When to have a baby, when to switch job. Um, I, I do very well. <laughs> so, so yes, I, I moved out of New York City. Um, again, the hustle and bustle with a small child was a lot. Uh, the lack of flexibility at this, you know, wonderful accounting firm that I was working for, it had all the bells and whistles, except that one thing I really needed. Uh, that was a lot for me. So I picked up and I moved to New Jersey. I'm licensed there, you know, I'll make a go of it. Uh, I ended up working for a smaller law firm and that's part of why I figured, okay, I can I can do this because it's, it's not big law. I didn't feel like I was jumping from frying pan to fire. It was a smaller firm. Uh, and they they toted their flexibility. I mean, they were that's the one thing I walked in. You know, I learned from Deloitte how to ask for what I need ahead of time. You can't ask for it once you're already embroiled in the position. That doesn't work as well. Might work for some. It did not work for me. Uh, so I learned. I'm like, okay, my next job right off right off the bat during the interview is when I'm going to bring this up. Hey, I I have I have a small child. My, you know, my job's important, but so is my parenthood. And I need this in order to be a better employee. I need a little flexibility. I'll give you all the hours you need. I just can't, you know, be chained to my desk in order to give them to you. I need a little bit of wiggle room. So I mentioned that immediately, thinking that that's the way to go. And if it's not compatible, you move on. Okay. Uh, the firm sort of tooted it's it's oh we have you know we work nine to five sharp like it's you know if once you're here and you train up a little then there is remote work available we we do we do this is essentially what i was told wait a minute and a law the firm actually hit. told you so my, that there was a nine to five yep. job nine to five <laughs> yeah after we Again. all this podcast i would like you to tell me what that law firm is <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, again, you know, little, little naive, little naive. Uh, also a theme. I started. Sometimes Nicole goes into positions yes, a little also, naive. Also a theme. Little naive. Yeah, time, <laughs> timing is is wild, and 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 I and I sometimes believe what I'm told. Uh, so I I start there, and the I think that it was not even two weeks after I started, we were under a shutdown in New Jersey, like the whole state, you, you weren't allowed to go anywhere, even if you wanted to. <laughs> so the first two months at this firm, uh, I was alone in my house, you know, trying to learn the ropes using using like a, a share drive, and on the phone with another associate who had been there a few months and was trying to teach me the ropes. Um, so it, ma it made it harder. And it also made it harder to really connect with yeah. my new colleagues. Like, by the time I had met the founding shareholder who who was supposed to be one of my direct bosses. I think I had been at the firm for, oh, I don't know, six months or so <laughs> before I ever met her in person. Right? It's like, oh, hi, you know, hi, I'm Nicole. I've been working for you for six months straight, but it's nice to meet you. Uh, it, it was it was weird. So it that definitely made things a little bit tougher. And obviously the nine to five was was not entirely accurate uh, and neither was the flexibility. You know, we, we had a, 
snow day, uh, we had a really bad snowstorm and we were told that if we didn't come into the office that we would get docked a day. And that was the day that I decided this place isn't for me. Yeah. So I, I worked there about a year. I finished up everything in, in you know, as, as far as my client files, there was nothing that was left open or, or loose. I trained a few of the law clerks. One of them got his, his license and he was just a very sharp young attorney, fresh out of school, but a very quick study, very capable, very smart. I ended up writing a few of his recommendation letters when he went ahead and moved on. Uh, but he was the one that took over all my files and I prepared him well before I ever put in my notice. I'm like, look, I'm not saying I'm leaving. I'm not saying I'm staying, but you should really know about these files. <laughs> and these, you know, these are, this is my client load. And I would really appreciate if you got familiar with it, uh, you know, and taught him everything I know. I, even if a place isn't working out for me, um, those are still relationships. You have to be careful about what bridges you burn. And the, you know, the bridges that I've ever burned, I've burned very intentionally and, and it was through a calculated process. And is this going to bite me later? Is this going to be something I regret? Yeah. If it isn't, then it isn't. You know, if, it, if there's no value in that relationship, that's one thing. But for the most part, try to leave a place better than you, than you found it. Right? Even if it doesn't work out, even if it's not your place, leave it better than you found it. And so that's been a practice of mine. And I will try to tie up all my loose ends, you know, organize my file. My files are never more organized than when I'm getting ready to leave a job, honestly. And then I and then I tend to write a big letter um, to everyone, just sort of highlighting all of the people along the way that I met in that position that were wonderful. Uh, try not to say anything negative. You know, the people that, that were just, they deserve shout outs. And I just found that they were underappreciated. They were incredible people. Everyone should know how incredible they are. And so I've written some pretty funny goodbye letters uh, that sort of recap my time there. I kind of love that. I, I've i never had that, like I've never seen that happen. Um, and I wish I did, because so, I think it's great. But that's that's the reason I do it. Cause I, I don't see it happen either. You know, I think a lot of time, employers really underestimate uh, how far a thank you can go. Like, hey, mm -hmm. I see you, I see what you're doing. I noticed you did X and Y and Z, and that was more than you were tasked to do. It's, it's you know, beyond your job description. I appreciate that you did that. Or, hey, I see that you're mentoring, you know, the younger law clerks or, or the younger professionals that just came in. Thank you so much for doing that. Like, clearly we don't have a training program. So it's great that they have somebody that they can learn from. Yeah. Something. Um, it's for me that that even that little bit of appreciation, particularly in a COVID world where everybody was so stressed and so taxed and so overworked and so confused because suddenly people were working from home all the time. Um, a little bit of that appreciation goes really far. And it actually, you know, I've learned or I've, I've noticed it, it really does get me a lot of rapport. I've made some great friends by just telling somebody, even if it's someone I didn't work with personally, Hey, I know that you did that. I think that's really cool. I appreciate yeah. that you did that. Yeah, when you people know? listen to this, that's a lesson that they need to learn because people will say, I think people when they hear like exit interview at jobs and stuff, they take it the opposite way. They say, oh, exit interview, this is my chance to tell these people what I really think about them and all the stuff that I don't like about the job. And I'm like, that is not what you do. <laughs> And, yeah. and I don't think people understand that about the keeping those relationships intact. Yeah, I, I don't complain in my exit interview unless I think it's going to change something. Mm -hmm. Right. Like when I left Deloitte, um, one of the partners asked me for an exit interview. We didn't have to do one, but he asked me for one because uh, he knew that I was struggling with the, the home work life balance. And I and I was very honest with him. I said, look, you have an incredible team. I, I have never worked with smarter people in my life. I mean, this the, the, the lights can be left on with brain power alone. These people are brilliant. You have an incredible team. You just need a little flexibility and to really understand that not everyone who rolls through here is a young 20-something who's trying to prove themselves. Some of us have a little bit of work experience in a different field and have families and are trying to scale. Uh, so, you know, if, if it's a criticism that I think will lead to something positive uh, for everyone else after I'm gone, absolutely throw it out there. 
try to try to be nice about it. You don't have to show your fangs, but throw it out there. Uh, otherwise, it's just you know, I really appreciate you. It's been such it's been so wonderful working with you. Here's my number. You know, please stay in touch with me uh, if you think of me for anything in the future. If you need anything, great. I made more friends that way than not, and a lot of the people from my previous firm who shared you know some of my criticisms of that firm. They've all since left, and we're all now a, a network of attorneys that works with yeah. one another. And every time one of us has a client or, or an idea or something, we will pitch it to each other. And I check in with them all the time. So now I've got attorneys spread out all throughout New Jersey because they've all gone to different firms, and I, I have a little network going on. Yeah, I think well, that's good. Yeah, it's yeah. working for me. I think that's the way to go. And I mean that that is exactly the point, though. Like you, you, you don't want to burn the bridges because then you just kill part of your network and you just never know what people are going to do what you're going to do like what you might need what they might need like it's it just it, it is a good way to keep those relationships going and uh, not like not burn those bridges and like you said unless it is one that you want to burn <laughs> in a calculated yeah. sense so i i, I want to get to first tech yeah. though because you know you and i were talking about this like you like you're now general counsel of not a small company you know, know and and i mean and you you said earlier you're not old like <laughs> like you're pretty young so <laughs> not yet <laughs> you know i mean we're all getting older but you know but you you said this earlier you're like i am a young general counsel and so i i and i'm sure people listening are wondering like so how'd you do it nicole like how like how did you go from you know you, you start basically a planned parenthood scraping by you know you go through some cutthroat you know, working for Deloitte and, you know, that it's a totally different experience to firm life. Now, you know, you're general counsel of a company. So how, how did, how did that work out for you? Uh, it helped that we were in the middle of a pandemic because yeah. the pandemic taught me, you know, some, some valuable lessons. Uh, one is know what you want before you ask for it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I had to have a very honest conversation with myself. I, I see that my career is really varied. Like I looked at my own resume and I'm like, oh my God, whoever's looking at this resume is gonna think that I have professional ADD. Like this is just, my resume is all over the place. I, I, I have a very varied career. And now, you know, if I want to scale up in this next phase of, of my career, I'm gonna have to get a little more focused. And that means know what the heck you want out of it. You know, it now it's not a matter of survival anymore. I have figured out how to, uh, have a career, maintain a child, you know, raise my baby, um, who's not such a baby anymore. She's now in school and, and she talks back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've sort of figured out what I'm doing with myself here. And so that, that desperation that I had six or seven years ago, uh, I don't have anymore. So now I can focus on what do I need? Where do I need to be? And that was an important conversation to have before I quit the law firm I was at before. I started to sort of brainstorm what I was looking for. The other thing was, you know, uh, to understand that there is at least so far, in my opinion, I have not seen this work where you get the high powered, crazy high paying career and the family. I am not convinced that women can do it all. I'm going to still try, you know, I'm still going to, nope. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep <laughs> it up. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep telling my, my girl that, that we can, uh, but in the real world, I am not convinced that that is a possibility. There are days, but I'm a wonderful mother. And then there are days where I am, I'm lacking as a mom, but man, did I kill my job today? You know, <laughs> Thank you, you can't have it all. And I need <laughs> Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> I applaud you. It's true. You, have been I, you know, told, I, I needed you just to. said what I've been telling women for a long time, and I'm not a mom, and I'm like, I don't believe in this achieving, achieving a work-life balance. You never achieve it. It's always going to be a balancing act. One day you're going to be the better mom. One day you're going to be the better lawyer. You know, that it just has to be that way because some things just take precedent over others. That's the truth. Yeah. yeah. And, and we need to dispel with telling people that you can't have it all because you're doing them a disservice. And so for the longest time, being under the impression that I could do everything, I had to fall hard on my butt and learn that I can't. 
And so that was something that I needed to, to tell myself before trying and throwing my hat in for this job. And so I saw the, the listing, thought it was bad, I'm like, man, general counsel, geez, like, ah, you know, what, what could be bad? What, what's the worst that could happen? They'll tell me no. All right. That's about what happens with every guy I've ever had a crush on. It's not the worst thing <laughs> I could live, you know, and so, you know, I, you know, rejection's okay. You know, at least you tried. Um, I'd rather rejection than no answer. So I, I went for it and sure enough, I got the interview. I think it's because I, I probably lowballed myself on the salary. So I'm making the most money I've ever made professionally, but I, I still think I've lowballed it. But I also think that that's to my advantage because that enabled me to then leverage that and say, look, I'm not gonna rake you on the salary request, but I am gonna demand some flexibility and I am gonna demand some work from home and I'm gonna demand, you know, these number of days off because I have to do this and this that I know of so far. Um, and, you know, I'd like CLEs and I'd like X and Y. And so that gave me the flexibility to ask for what I really wanted. I also learned that it's not all about the salary. And that's something that a lot of people forget. I had a high, really high salary at Deloitte and no flexibility. And you know what? It really wasn't worth the salary to me. So knowing that I can say, okay, I need this much to be comfortable, pay my bills, have a savings, you know, put, put some away, have the 529 plan that I'm contributing to for Sarah. Like I, I do what I need to do as a responsible adult financially, but I don't need the extras. I need flexibility. That for me is my extra. And for everyone, the extra it might be different, but you need to know what it is. And I think COVID taught us how to ask for it. Like we were talking about boundaries. For me, that's a boundary. Being able to set those boundaries down and say, I'm, I'm an attorney and I'm your employee, but I'm also someone's mother. And, you know, there are some days that being someone's mother will out trump being your employee a hundred times over. They're both important to me. And at the end of the day, if I quit or I die, this job will replace me. If I die, my daughter will be at a loss forevermore. Right. <laughs> she doesn't get another mother. You guys get another employee. She doesn't get another mother. And so that's how I had to prioritize. Having that conversation, figuring out what I needed out of it, I went to the interview and I was extremely upfront about what I thought my shortcomings would be at this position and how, and how I thought that we could work together to overcome them. What some of my ideas were for the company after I started, after I'd studied them and I figured out what they were about. I, I understood how long, you know, they've had attorneys. I learned about their previous general counsel as much as I could find online, offered some of my ideas. Um, and we had a very frank conversation. We ended up getting along. The CEO and I, hit it off. It felt more like a, a, a hangout type conversation like we're having now than it did an interview. Uh, you know, he asked me about my child. Uh, I told him all about it. He explained that he too had children and that his wife, uh, she does work here at the company uh, and she is the CFO and, and she's got twins. Jeez, so like, that's the only thing harder than having one is having two. <laughs> and so, but yeah, but she's doing it. And so he understood that and he placed a lot of value on that. And so we were able to come to a consensus about what he as the employer would, would need out of me and what I as the employee would need out of him. Um, and I think that that conversation is ultimately what got me the job. I wasn't here to show him bells and whistles. I, I'm, a, I'm a younger attorney. I have under 10 years experience and I'm coming in as general counsel and I knew that. And so being honest and frank with him and also, you know, not commanding a high salary that I haven't earned commensurate with the experience yet. I'll earn it eventually, you know, but I, but with the experience I have now, I just didn't feel comfortable demanding that at this time. And that's okay with him. It's okay with me. I got the job and I've been, I hit the ground running ever since. There are yeah. some days that I feel like I'm rocking it. And there are some <laughs> days that I feel like my shoes are too big. <laughs> Hey, I feel like that all the time too, you know, and I, I think, I think, you, I think you're lying if you, you say on every day, oh, I know a hundred percent of what I'm doing a hundred percent of the time, you know, and even, even as a parent, like, I don't know, I, I've never done this stage of parenting before because this is my first time doing it. So you're, you're learning along the way. It's, I think it's owning it and just figuring it out. But 
I mean, I really do like your point though about going in with and being clear about your expectations and your intentions um, and being honest about them and not being just a yes woman. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And there's a lot of importance with that, that, you know, and I think it speaks to you. Like he probably really found it refreshing that you're not going to go in and BS him. Like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'll do everything for you. I'll, I'll be your everything. Like, no, I have, I have some, you know, restraints or demands here too. And this is what I need from you to make this relationship between us work and my relationship with this company. I think like we think we should, I wish we'd see more of that. I mean, it's like, Wendy, you do a lot of interviewing for positions uh, at our firm and you're, you're our, you're like our employment center, I would say, (laughs) but like, wouldn't sitting in an interview, like, do you often have potential candidates come in and like, say, like as clear as like Nicole made it out to be like, I need X, you know, this is what I, I need for this to work. Or is that, is it a rarity for you? I would say it's rare and the way it comes across sometimes when they do, when some candidates do say that, that's rare. But what I do like what you said, Nicole, is, you know, you not only come in, you don't just come in and start right away and be like, here's my, here's what I want. Here's my limitations. I like that the part is that you said you're you're young, you're young and you have a very varied career. Like that's not a hindrance. You know, it's like I've tried different things to fit the needs of my, my just some things in my life, but I come in with fresh ideas. I take that experience, you know, just the stuff that you did with the networking of the attorneys at the other job, even while in COVID, like th- as an interviewer, that those are like, check, check, like plus, plus, you know, like that's awesome. And that's what you, that's what you want to see. Like that's how I would come in. Like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm younger. I, you know, I, I come in with these skill sets, but I have such a varied you know, you have a varied um, experience background. And I think for general counsel, especially like having the Deloitte, having that part in Planned Parenthood, you know, how I always say this, how I got my first job in the door before for my law job as uh, the name partner, the second name partner on the door, I babysat his kids. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a while ago. I mean, the kids were older at that time, but like that, you always keep those connections in life. Yeah. And you never know where you go. So yeah. I think it's awesome what you've done. Yeah. And, and your daughter and- is, is very proud of you. Trust me. Coming from a, a child who had a single mom, like you, you just, you know that you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Yeah, I know. And I, and I think, you know, just to, to, extend off of what Wendy said like when you described your background as like your resume looks like you know ADHD I'm like I don't see that at all because I don't I'm, I'm not a general counsel but my impression is that you have to do deal with everything and it could everything. be anything so I see that as a benefit you know you're like yeah tax I got it I know how to do tax stuff or well, regulations I know those oh I, I like do you need me to litigate a file I know about litigation like you can you can talk about so many things and you kind of are one big package. So I see it as a strength. And I think you just need to be in the right place for them to see it as a strength as well. And you kind of found it. A part of part of the those ideas that I had and those conceptions, you know, you talk to a lot of recruiters. And I and I've made friends with a lot of them, you know, over time. Every time I I, I connect with one on LinkedIn and from time to see a lot of referrals, you know, you kinda you gotta keep recruiters in the network because you never know where you're gonna go next. Uh, but that's an idea that that recruiters seem to have on still on a wide scale and and it seems to be like an issue with quote millennials which i am very much one of those millennial people uh but millennials tend to hop around a lot and generally employers are not in the same generation as we are they're a generation or two behind and there's this issue that if you jump around too much, you're not committed, or you know you're not you're not focused, or you're gonna you're gonna onboard and then offboard, and so that gets some of us kind of nervous about wanting to move, even if that move is is a good move. So I've made a lot of moves, and and there was a time where I, I looked at my resume and went, holy crap, someone's gonna look at this and think that I'm a, a hopper, <laughs> right? Uh, l- luckily, it worked out because I'm in a position where you're right. Uh, all of my varied experiences are, are 
now coming to my advantage because I see all different, no, no two days at my office are the same. I see different things every single day. It's M&A, it's commercial real estate sometimes that you know we're dealing with, it's litigation, it's covenants, it's employment law. How do we do this? We've got employees in 48 states. One of them wants to take maternity leave and there's now new, new PFL regulations. What do we do there? So, so yeah, it's, it is very varied. And I, and I think that's why I, I'm growing into it and I like it so much. I'm not scared. I'm not turned off. I'm not, you know, I, I'm never yeah. bored. Um, <laughs> I'm learning all the time, but that, so that conception about job hopping, particularly with my generation and even the one that graduated now, uh, we need to maybe talk about that and say, people are trying to figure out what they want and people are trying to make it work and make those relationships work, not by yesing you to death and making promises that they can't keep and then they become, you know, poorly performing employees, but they're trying to figure out what they need too. This is a symbiotic relationship. Yeah. And rely on your network. So, you know, when you're saying you deal with all these varied things and that network that you built the last one and you, as you come along, that's, that's what they're here for. You know, people call me all the time because they don't know employment. Like they don't know some of these nuances, comp, litigation or whatever. You know, it's not about just having the file. It's like having somebody, it's a resource. You know, like that's, yeah. what, that's what we do. We're, we're resources for people. So, and you doing that is, is, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it wasn't until I joined the county bar and I started, I joined like a bunch of general counsel magazines and email lists. That that's where I realized, oh, huh, look at that. I'm a young general counsel. That's where I learned that is, you know, getting a network and realizing that most of the people in the room were uh, a lot older than me. <laughs> um, but thankfully, everyone is willing to teach. You know, most people, if you ask them to teach you something or give you insight on something, uh, I've I've had the experience. I, maybe I'm one of the lucky few, but nobody has ever held back a piece of insight from me if I asked nicely. You know, so people are willing to teach. <laughs> people yeah. are willing I, to pass the torch. And I think that speaks for you too. You're also always willing to learn, and I think that's that's a great piece of advice for for any anyone. Like always be willing to learn, and never feel too proud to admit that you you need to tap into other people to learn from and you don't know everything. None of us know everything. I mean, that's impossible. So you need to utilize like your, the resources that are available to you and, and your network. Absolutely. So we're, we're just about out of time, but I wanted to, to close this since Nicole, I, do you have any advice that you would give to, you know, someone who's who is now sitting in similar shoes that you were you know back when you're sitting at the bar exam with you know <laughs> with a, th a, a three-week-old newborn at home like what what advice would you give that per that woman to you know keep going and keep a head on her shoulders and not get discouraged Oof. um one breathe <laughs> breathe <laughs> uh you know first and foremost and don't be afraid to assert yourself. It feels like a very desperate situation at that moment. You're you're under the pressure and, and stress of a new baby and trying to piece together a career. Don't be afraid to assert yourself, you know, and and assert your value to the profession. I wish I had known that earlier. I wish I had known that years ago. I'd probably be further ahead, higher up the scale somewhere, uh, if I had believed that. And so that's something I would tell a young mom in the profession, assert yourself, assert your value. And, and know your value. I think sometimes like we yeah. tend, we are guilty of thinking our, we're, we're less valuable than we, we are. And I think we just have to stop doing that. I, I, as easy as I make that sound, just stop doing it. But <laughs> I think that, that is the truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's your said and done. Yeah. As, yeah. as is but most I mean, things in life. Yeah, but, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't get ahead. I, I didn't get ahead until I started asking for what I needed. And that, yeah. that was an important lesson for me. Once I started asking and I started saying, this is what I need, I got it. And one thing I, I, I admire about you, Nicole, too, is that you, you didn't give up ever and you kept pushing for more and what worked for you and what was best for you and your daughter. And I think, I mean, I think that I just, can't say enough about that. That's amazing for you. 
So um, we, went, we went a little over, so, <laughs> but that's okay. But thank you so much for, for joining us uh, this morning and, you know, talking about this. And, you know, I really loved hearing, hearing your story. So um, thanks so much for sharing it. And, you know, and, you know, there's more to tell. So maybe we have you on again and you can tell us about chapter number two and how, how things are going more in your position now. Sure. Yeah. No, thank you both for, for talking to me and sharing your insights. This was this is actually really great. This is my very first podcast. So oh, awesome. well, welcome. Yeah, this is my first one. So thank you. Thank you very much. This was great. really fun. Thanks, Nicole. It was nice meeting you. Put us in great your network. You. Yes. We'll do. We'll do. Thank you. Bye. You could call us. We're in New Jersey too. <laughs> Love it. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. Hey.